everyone, and welcome back to the Music Wing Podcast. I am Matt Harden. I'm Michael Wade. I'm Colin Fahey. I'm soon to be graduated, Isabel Garland. Woo! <laughs> pop and circumstance music. Here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely add that in if we can. <laughs> yeah, welcome everybody. It's great to be back for another week, and uh, we'll start with some updates and announcements. Uh, first of all, for all of our band seniors, please check your email and submit the recognition form so we can make a little memento for you and uh, celebrate your accomplishments. Keep those coming. We've done a bunch so far, so uh, we'd like to keep the the good vibes vibing. Uh, we are also uh, launching virtual our fourth virtual band, which is going to be a collaborative effort with the other schools from the South Shore Band Exchange. Uh, you can get information from that. Uh, on Google Classroom, or you can go to bit.ly slash SSBE. And the deadline for submissions for those is Sunday, May 31st. We're going to try to get that all set for the first weekend of June. So, uh, you know, when graduations are happening or, or honorary ceremonies are happening, we'll have that all set to go. So please get those in. Uh, we already had a bunch of submissions from other schools, which is awesome to see everybody collaborating in that way. So um, check that out. And also, uh, we will be probably having a music uh, band Zoom coming up next week with everybody again. Uh, so keep, uh, keep an eye out for that. And um, one last thing, I just want to give a huge shout out and thank you to everyone who participated in the student leadership team uh, audition process last week. Uh, we were all really, really impressed and inspired by all of you and your ideas. And uh, we hope to have a really, really strong team in place going into the rest of this year and whatever awaits us in the coming year. So thank you so much. You're absolutely right with that one. Uh, plenty of end of the year stuff to talk about here, you guys. Um, as far as drama is concerned, uh, we want to give a big thank you to everyone who filled out the superlative award Google form that was sent out. Uh, the superlatives have now closed. The awards have been decided. The superlatives have been decided. And uh, I'm currently working with the Drama Club eBoard to uh, put all of that information together and deliver it all to y'all in some certain way. So thanks again to that. And more importantly, we're going to have that stuff coming out soon. So keep an eye out for that. Uh, the METG is doing a virtual drama festival, which I believe I brought up last week. But even if I didn't, um, it's going to be a very interesting process where all participating schools with the METG Drama Fest are going to have the opportunity to present their work in some form or another, whether it be a recording of a show that you did earlier this year uh, a recording of, say, a Zoom reading of a new work that you uh, are working on. And from our perspective, what we'd really love to have happen, and uh, I'm just going to put out there as a caveat right now, uh, there's a lot of permission that needs to sort of come around for this. But my hope would be that we could present uh, a recording of our public performance of The Scheme of the Driftless Shifter, which we did do for Drama Fest this year as part of the METG Virtual Drama Festival. Those things are going to be figured out very shortly. Um, I'm thoroughly excited at the prospects. And more importantly, uh, from a drama club perspective, we will now have the opportunity to be a part of festival 
when it all gets going, which means we can watch other schools perform stuff. We can watch other shows that maybe we did not get to see. Um, it's going to be a very exciting thing. And as always, the METG is doing the absolute best that they can to keep teachers and students and just art in general alive and well. So kudos to the METG. And there will be more info on that coming out soon. Uh, one other thing. Yes. Um, similar to what Mr. Harden said, uh, eboard elections, uh, that would be the drama club elected board that uh, is student representatives that uh, are assuming leadership roles within the club. Uh, those are being decided as we speak. Uh, the form went out last week and I've received an overwhelming amount of responses from a lot of you guys. And it is just absolutely fantastic. Again, like Mr. Harden said, it's absolutely fantastic to see all of you uh, still expressing great interests in uh, creating great interests and in assuming leadership roles and helping to forward along all of our programs. Uh, that uh, The interviews for that will be next week. And the hope will be that we announce the uh, e-board for next year with the awards when we put them out. So again, superlatives, e-board elections, all that stuff is probably going to take place together. I will keep you all posted on that. And similar to what uh, Mr. Harden has said, uh, the uh, Drama Club elected board, the e-board that exists right now, is putting together Drama Club Senior Spotlights that will be taking place through our Instagram. Uh, keep an eye out for Google Forms, very similar to what you've seen for band and for chorus, but Google Forms that will be coming out to you soon. Uh, please fill those out and get those back in a relatively timely manner. We want to celebrate you, my friends. It is all about uh, sort of helping remind all of us what a great year we've had, and especially for our seniors, what a great four years you've definitely had. Um, that is all for drama at this time. Thanks, Mr. Fahey. For Chorus, uh, we have a couple announcements. Uh, like Mr. Harden said, can you please turn in your form for their senior spotlight if you haven't done so yet? If you need another copy of the form, just shoot me an email. I'll be more than happy to send that your way. We have a smorgasbord of meetings this Friday. Uh, we have concert chorus meeting at 11 a.m. There'll be a Vox meeting at noon. And then there'll be a senior meeting at 1 p.m. Seniors, we're going to be talking about finalizing the senior song. Uh, I shared that Google document with you last week during our meeting. So go back and look at that. You have the ability to edit it if you'd like to. So anything you'd like to add to it before, there's some really good options there right now add them on and we're going to set it in stone on Friday and then I'll send out tracks to you guys to practice with. Uh, as far as everything else goes for the other people, uh, we're going to be talking about end of the year stuff in our meeting this week, how to wrap up, uh, how the end of the last few weeks are going to be as far as assignments and grading and talking about auditions and interviews for leadership positions and for Vox coming up. So all that stuff we'll be touching base on on Friday. So please make sure you're there. Uh, and that's it for me. Great. Uh, and again, as we said last week, thank you to all of you who have reached out about this podcast. Uh, we love hearing from you. And I know um, uh, Ms. Garland actually sent out a, a feedback form and we'll maybe talk about that a little bit more uh, later in the pod. So thank you to everyone who's reached out. We really do appreciate hearing from you. So this week's topic, we're going to talk about the creative process. Uh, 
what we do to be creators. When you want to write a song, a scene, a play, uh, a musical, where does it all happen? How does it happen? And what are some tools we can give to you to get you up and running? So uh, let's start with the inspiration. How do we get started? Um, and I have a couple thoughts to, to lead us off, and that is the tyranny of the blank page uh, or the empty screen, the the blank Google Doc uh, can be very intimidating. So how do we? How do you guys, as creators, uh, people who are are either writing, how do you break through um, that blank page and and just get the get the creativity flowing? It's interesting because um, personally, I, I can find it coming from just about anywhere. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, I don't want to get ahead on the subject, but um, this idea of journaling, uh, written memos, voice memos that you can record on your phone. I'm a big fan of the Notes app on my phone. Um, I find a lot of times that inspiration hits when you really are not expecting it. And, uh, you know, it, it, in my opinion, it's the taking down of the idea that is really the most important because whether you do something with it or not, once you've sort of transcribed it down somewhere, then that at least, I don't know, this is for me, it at least sort of makes it a reality in my own mind. I don't know. That's sort of. Yeah. I think I, I love that because I'm a big notes person too. I have like 700 notes on my phone. I think like I'm <laughs> Yo, you and you and me both. You and me both. <laughs> I'm always writing stuff down. And I think one of the best things that you can do at that at this very beginning stage when you're starting to think about stuff is try not to be judgmental of the ideas that you are coming up with. One of the best things you can do is generate a lot of ideas. They can be small, they can be big, doesn't matter. Just do a lot of it and think about a lot of different things and generate a lot of different things and branch out, take a one subject and then branch out and see how many different ways you can connect to that subject. How many different viewpoints could you get of it? And then after that, I think go back and sort of sift through and be like, oh, that's actually kind of interesting. And when I take this and then this and this and then put it together, it actually creates something really cool that I hadn't thought about before. Yeah. A really good way to start. Yeah. That, I, I think that's, that's part of it right there. Um, and maybe uh, you guys can give your opinions on this. It's like one of my favorite things to do is, and the way I sort of phrase it is like a, a unconsciously write, just, just write. Just write for the sake of writing and whether it be a single idea of long, you know, stretched out idea or multiple different ideas. Um, and then the process of being able to sit down and read it back to you and just be like, oh, wow, that's so interesting how I didn't even mean to do this here or I didn't even mean to do that there. And yet somehow it connects around to this other idea that came out of the process or you know, there, then there's the unfortunate times when you just, you read back through something and you're like, well, I'm, I'm not really seeing anything. here." Yeah. I think, uh, for me, it's almost like having, um, you know, when I was, when I was younger, I'd had to have a sketchbook, uh, for, for art class and just kind of just doodling and, and for musical doodling might be sitting at a piano and just coming up with some chord progressions or, uh, just thinking about, um, lyrics, uh, all of these, all of these are sort of ways to get the information out of your brain, and I think that's really important. And I love the idea of not being judgmental; that mm -hmm. it can turn into something later on, 
or it might not. But at least if, if you're getting it out there, that's really, really good. Um, I've been keeping a, a journal during this whole quarantine thing, um, you know, via via Facebook and, and a blog. And, you know, some days I really don't know what I'm going to write. And I just kind of start writing and reflecting about the day and then it kind of turns into something. So you never know what it's going to be. And, and it's a great exercise to just do a little bit of that every day and just store it somewhere. Yeah, I would say for me, when it comes to um, creating something, I tend to get the most inspiration when I absorb what other people are doing creatively. Um, an example of this would be studio class uh, in college, watching my friends play and then being like, oh, I got to go practice uh, or come up with something like that. So I'd say if you need somewhere to start, um, go observe what your friends are doing creatively or maybe your favorite content creators. See what they're doing. If you like it, it might inspire you to do something similar, but just keep absorbing like creative content and it'll help you come up with your own creative ideas. Yeah. And I think the, the last point I would make in, in the inspiration sort of portion of this is to write about something that resonates with you that, that is personal and, and relevant to your life. Um, so many times, you know, um, I think people who write songs or write or do any kind of creative work, it comes from a place inside of you, obviously. Um, and, and the more relevant that is, and the more visceral that is, I think the, the better the, the ideas tend to be. So I would encourage everyone to kind of, you know, just take a pause and think about, well, what do I really want to say with all of this? Um, what am I feeling right now? What am I seeing? What am I hearing? You know, start with the sensory things. And that kind of leads us neatly into the next part. Um, what comes first? Do we start with imagery or, or a narrative uh, in terms of songwriting? You know, do we do we hear a progression in our in our heads first? Do we hear a particular instrument or uh, a particular instrument color? Um, is it melody? Is it lyrics? Um, and I'd be curious to see um, where you guys are at with this because I know I have various different processes that I go through with it. So definitely i think i'm a little biased uh just because i'm a, I'm a singer and a chorus person so like words for me is always kind of paramount in everything i do and it's um i i've written a few songs in my life like i'm not a huge composer um i i am i am lucky to live with somebody who is very creative in that way and so i kind of get my my fill of creativeness through him as far as the writing of stuff goes but when I've actually gone and done it myself, um, I, it's generally been the poetry that I've really, it's sort of, ins that has inspired me on a deep level, like you were saying, um, has moved me in a way, has sort of brought about these really vivid images in my head, um, images that I feel like I could translate into music, if that makes sense. And taking that, then sitting at a piano, and um, just kind of like letting ideas flow out and see what is the feel, what is the feel of the text, what is the feel of the mood of the piece, and how can the piano, the music that I'm shaping with my fingers sort of mirror that. Um, and it's sort of like working, working very directly, but very abstractly at the same time, having very direct ideas, but then also trying to be abstract and thinking about the many options you have. Um, it's a really cool sort of dance that I think your mind does as you start this process. Yeah, I definitely agree. And I mean, the process is 
you'll find I think is different for every sort of um, every artist in relation to their medium of choice. But um, and, you know, I, I'm, I'm the drama guy here and I'm talking with three uh, excellent musicians. <laughs> um, but if like if I were to throw my hat into the circle of music creation, um, you know, I, I still uh, I still try to write music with friends of mine. And um, what I've found recently is that, uh, again, sort of tying back around to that idea of taking notes is that sometimes the inspiration literally comes from one particular thing or maybe even just one note or a lot of times uh, what I'll do is like I'll watch a movie and be inspired by one character and then all of a sudden the song manifests itself around a character mentality. Uh, There's a lot of different ways that you can go about it and uh, um, uh, just tying back around to um, Mr. Wade's idea of like, you know, not being too hard on yourself especially at the beginning, um, just see what comes out. And I think personally, I have a problem with, (laughs) I have a problem with change a little bit. So like once I get invested on an idea, whether it be good, bad, or indifferent, I kind of will try to ride that idea until the wheels come off, which can sometimes be a bit, uh, negative in relation to the creative process. But personally, I've been trying really hard recently, actually with writing music, I've been trying really hard recently to give over to the creative process and let things sort of adjust themselves as need be and try not to be so, um, I don't know, for lack of a better word, upset when things change. Like things can definitely change and they should. And they should evolve to sort of find that exact note or that exact feeling that you're trying to get across. I think this goes equally with writing theater um, because theater, in my opinion, it's all based on feel. It's what your audience can get out of it, what they're going to experience live and in person. Um, Yeah. It's it. I, I definitely love the beginning of the creative process. Like, I don't know if you guys feel that way, but it's, it's kind of addictive to just continue to create and create and create and, a lot of times I have trouble finishing things. I don't know if you guys have that issue. Oh, yes. <laughs> I probably have, you know, 40 different finale files that are in various stages of completion or incompletion. <laughs> you know, on my computer, and then I'll, I'll go back and revisit. I'm like, oh, that was pretty cool. I didn't go anywhere with that. Yeah, whatever yeah. happened to that type thing. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I, I definitely feel that. Um, I, I think for me... Um, you know, where it starts first, it, it really depends on the type of music I'm writing. Uh, many of you that are listening to this, that are especially the seniors will remember, I, I wrote a piece for John Hopkins a few years ago when he retired. And, uh, you know, that was, that was almost like the music was already formed and it just, I just had to write it out. I mean, I already had an idea of what I wanted to express with that and, and what I wanted to say about him as a, as a person, as a mentor, as a teacher. And, um, you know, it just kind of sort of almost came out fully formed and I just had to get it onto, onto the score. Uh, other times, <clears throat> you know, when I've been writing you know, a jazz chart or something that's a little bit more abstract in terms of its message and it's not so clear cut, it's more of a development process of really kind of sitting at the piano and, and determining a groove or, you know, experimenting with different sounds or, or orchestrational techniques that then lead on to another 
um, avenue. But I, 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 it's really interesting to hear how many different ways you can approach it. I think the most important thing that we can take out of this, and for those of you who are, you know, struggling maybe with creativity, is <laughs> just pick an avenue and go with it, man. Um, you know, just try something, uh, and and that that can lead to some really really amazing things. I and it really just it just all come down to uh, you know what do you want to communicate with it? What do you want to say? Yeah. yeah. Oh, uh, just one one little thing that I I wanted to add because that's such a great point, Matt. That it's like just just invest yourself in something, whatever sort of comes up. I think especially now for a lot of us, and I I know this is how I feel every day. It's that it's just like if I can attempt or even like sniff at some something creative every day, then that's, that's the goal. So like maybe one day you were really interested in writing a song and then the next day, for some reason you wake up and you want to write a monologue today. It's like, you know, go for it. (laughs) And like, you know, just sort of putting a cap on the like multiple open-ended projects. It's like, in my opinion, that just shows a really great desire in all of us to continue to want to create, you know? Yeah, this is interesting. For me, I envy the fact that um, you can write, like have songs come to you. I have struggled with that. Uh, when I sit down and at a piano and I, I have like chords in my head, it turns into a pop song that has already been written. <laughs> so, um, Oh, I've done plenty of that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I've, I've gotten frustrated with, with myself on that. And my creative outlet has always been... Um, like writing when I was younger, I used to write like short stories all the time. Um, I don't, for, for me, it's interesting as a musician, I, I often, I don't often have, like, I don't often create my own music. Um, but for some reason I'll randomly have a day where I have to doodle the, um, princess Leia and Han Solo and Kylo Ren as a kid for like six, for like four hours and then never look at it again. <laughs> like, I know that's super random, but, <laughs> and then I don't draw for, like weeks or um now that i'm back home on the cape and i'm walking around um barnstable village and i I feel like i want to like write a story about a kid growing up here um because i didn't but it's interesting i just i don't i don't think of i'm surrounded by friends who compose and and arrange and stuff but my brain i feel like my brain maybe gets too saturated with music so it tries to jump to something else um but i would say for advice, I would say don't be afraid to throw something out if it's just not working. Um, don't be afraid to just ditch it and try something completely new. Because um, sometimes I feel like we get attached to what we've already started creating. And then we don't want to throw it out because now we have, oh, we worked, you know, we've done six hours trying to to make something, but it's not working. But I would say don't be afraid to just chuck it and be like, well, that's still hours put into creating this new thing that will eventually happen. Um, yeah, you know, such, what's, a, such an excellent point. Really yeah. Good advice. Yeah. That is really awesome advice. Can I pose a question to you guys sure. being, being creative individuals like we are, um, has there ever been a situation where, and maybe this is more geared towards Matt and Mike, um, and you know, soon to be Isabel, but <laughs> being that we are in professions or careers that, are based in a creative field. Do you ever find, do you ever find music to be a little hard to enjoy at points? 
because of the practicality and the necessity that comes with having to be teaching it or directing it? I love that question because uh, I, I see it from a couple different angles. Like my very first year teaching, I would every single every single day after school was done, I would drive home. Like I had like a 20, 25 minute drive and I was just driving silence, like being surrounded by music and sound and everything that being a first year teacher entails. I would absolutely <laughs> always, I would love my silence. And sometimes I still do that to this day. I'm, I've, it's, I've gotten more even keeled now as I, I've been going through this stuff for a few years and um, finding balance in my work life. But there are, I think it's absolutely possible, like kind of the word, I love the word Isabel used with oversaturation. Yeah, um, to yeah. Be oversaturated with music. And there are some days that I definitely, definitely feel like I need to step away for a second and just re- rebalance myself with the other things in my life that I really love. Um, be that video games or being in nature or whatever, just something that just turn off my music brain for a while. And also that, um, I think with listening to music, I think sometimes it's very easy to, when you're in like the state of just rehearsing and making music and trying to perfect things, um, having that sort of analytical brain going. And um, sometimes it's really nice to turn that off and just enjoy music for the sake of music. Absolutely. <laughs> and- yeah, totally. Like in like either be it listening to like a song on the radio or like listening to the Boston Symphony Orchestra. Like I even caught myself last time I was there. I went with uh, actually Mr. Harden and one of my good friends, Adam Grishow. We went and saw a concert, and I caught myself just being like, like really, really analytical about every little thing that was happening. And I was like, I'm not like enjoying listening to just like the beauty that's coming out of the music right now of the musicians and like yeah. making that switch for in my brain it's i think it's important i think it's an important switch that you need to be able to make if you want to not burn out with music so it's a wonderful question colin and and uh for me i, I have a i envy the people who can just turn on turn it on and off like a switch i have a really hard time doing that um it's probably because i teach theory as well because <laughs> my brain is always kind of analyzing things like, <laughs> you know when it comes to music but um you know and, and as a an amateur composer at the same time, it's, you know, I'm always kind of thinking about how things are constructed. Yeah. Aaron Copeland writes really interestingly about this. He wrote a book called what to listen for in music. And uh, he, he talks about sort of these three planes that we, we listen with. And one of them is just the, like the sheerly in the moment aesthetic plane. And I think, I think that is what I would say I miss the most. Um, you know, and, and every once in a while it creeps up in me and reminds me of how important that is. Like oftentimes it is driving in the car and I'm listening to something on the radio and I have this purely emotional response, just letting it wash over me. And it's like, Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. This is why we do what we do. Okay. Yeah. Right. And I'm not thinking about the chord progression or like, you know, the modulation that just happened. I'm just like, just have goosebumps and okay. Yeah. All right. This is what we're, where we're at. Um, but it's such a great question, and and I think all artists struggle with this. Uh, you know, I, I imagine if you were an architect and you walked around in in a city, you would constantly be noticing the architecture. Absolutely, um, yeah, yeah. You know, but then you walk into the Sistine Chapel and you look up, and you can have an emotional experience just being in the Sistine Chapel. So I think it's a challenge for all of us as as artists and creators. Isabel, do you have any thoughts on that as far as like music? 
music sort of getting a bit hard to get at. Because again, I love that Mike pointed that out, this idea of sort of oversaturation. Yeah, I am. It's funny. I preach like listen to a lot of like classical music, listen to a lot of jazz. I only listen to pop. Like when I'm home, when I'm in the car, like that's it. Like I love that. I want to listen. Like when I'm not doing like music stuff, I want to listen to like fun four chords, and that's it. <laughs> and it's simple, and I know it's going to be fun. And so I, I, I agree with that. I, I totally understand that. And also now that I have like better ears, I feel like sometimes I go to concerts and I'm like, ooh, that note was out of tune, and I'm like, dang, now I wish I didn't have this power. <laughs> <laughs> with great power comes great responsibility, Isabel. Um, yeah, yeah. Just to just to sort of because uh, I'm I'm even thinking, um, which by the way, I have no idea where this question came from. I'm glad it, <laughs> I'm glad it came up, um, but. Uh, I guess, yeah, from a directing perspective and, um, you know, for anybody who's not, uh, who doesn't really know who I am, I- I've only been teaching for about three, three and a half years now. And I'll be honest, there are a lot of times where drama gets to be too dramatic for me. <laughs> and I'm just like, I, I, I kind of want to let it go for a second and leave it where it's supposed to be. And, um, you know, especially when it comes to, uh, reading plays. Like what's funny is uh, since this whole quarantine business, I've definitely been reading a lot more and I'll find that, uh, on a day, on a day that I really sort of end up reading a lot of, uh, like dramatic literature, I'll find that the very next day I want nothing more than to read like an autobiography on Steve Martin and just like distance myself from the idea of like, dramatic structure and writing and uh, thematic lines and character analysis. And you know what I do all the time too, is I cast, I can't stop casting. <laughs> like I'll, I'll, I'll read a play and in the course of reading it, I'll just be like, Oh yeah. So-and-so would be great here. And Oh my God, imagine if that person played that part. And it's just like, will you just read the book and enjoy it, please? Like, <laughs> I don't know. The other thing I would say is, is, <clears throat> you know, music takes up so much Ram in my brain. I, I know people who use music in the background to study. Music is never in the background for me. I can't just have something on while I'm trying to multitask and doing something else. I can do that with spoken word, but I, I just, I can't. So like, like, even, so like even, podcasts are easy type thing? Podcasts are great, you know, or, or like, you know, news or, or other stuff like that. But I, I just, you know, even when I'm, I'm working out or running, like I'll, I'll sometimes use some music for that, but I, I've started running to podcasts because it's less distracting for me. And, you know, when you're running on the road, you don't really want to be distracted, uh, ideally. But, um, you know, I used to be able to listen, like I used to do my math homework with music on, and I, I, I got to a point even in high school where I couldn't do that anymore. So I just get so wrapped up in what I was listening to. Yeah, or like, um, uh, I don't know if any of you guys uh, had ever done this, but it's like throughout high school and even college, I was huge on falling asleep to music and i would painstakingly put together these playlists that would that in my opinion i was just this is it this is the only thing i can listen to to like get get me that like perfect night's sleep and now i don't listen to anything 
Yeah, I did that for a while too um, with choral music specifically, like right, like in, during college. And then when I was first teaching, like I always was listening to music, most often choral music as I was falling asleep. It's very relaxing listening to choral music. I'd recommend it for anyone that's trying to fall asleep. It's very easy <laughs> to some songs and just really lull you right in. But um, I don't do it anymore. I, I, I need like total silence now when I sleep. <laughs> yeah, isn't that crazy? And I wouldn't say even total silence. Like there's like a, there's like a generator or something outside of my window, like next to my apartment. And for some reason that has become extraordinarily like comforting to hear. Like it, it, it's, it's strange. It's very odd. This is a weird aside, but <clears throat> you know, one of the, one of the journaling things that I talked about last night actually was how quiet it is right now. Uh, yeah, at, absolutely. At it really is. Um, I took the dog out last night to, you know, to do his business and I'm walking around and there's no jets flying. There's no cars on the road. The, like everything is just still and quiet. It's like, you know, and I compared it to, um, you know, like when it, when it snows and there's that blanket of snow and, and like everything is muffled. It yeah. feels, like the, feels like the world is muffled right now. You know, like there's, there's just so much quiet, uh, happening around us. Um, you know, and that can be, that can be disquieting. Uh, but, it, but I think in, in a lot of ways it's, it's kind of beautiful too. And it, and there's this like the sort of pause that's going on with all of the noise pollution that we're usually dealing with. Um, you know, and I think that speaks to the, to the greater conversation that we're having, uh, in terms of, of creating and, and being creative. What I love about that is that in this all the silence, other sounds are emerging that are I that I never pay attention to. Like yeah, yeah. Like yesterday on my walk, I was listening. I was just walking, and I don't even know what they're called, but like big, big, big. Like they look like thistle almost, but like very big, like hay sort of weed like things that are like taller than me, like seven feet tall. And just like listening to them rustle together, like just it, it just like washed over to me by the wind, and it was like something I'd never focused on. And bird song, like bird song, has been everywhere. I, I'm hearing it everywhere now. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? I I literally was I was gonna bring up the same thing that, and I live in Quincy. Like I I don't live in I don't live in like the city necessarily. I'd say I live on sort of the suburban side of Quincy, but even still every day and like every night you can hear them so clearly. And even if you uh, like, like a, like a well-trafficked hour, like let's say in between 1230 and 130, even if you go outside, you're still going to experience it differently because of everything that's going on right now. I mean, the vast majority of people being inside and um, something else that I just wanted to bring up and, uh, I used to have a director who would say this all the time and he'd say, uh, there's power in stillness. And so I always thought about that as like a directorial choice in relation to movement of people on stage. So instead of having people dance or walk around or anything like that, they just stand still. And it is really powerful on stage for sure. But if you sort of tweak that a little bit and you say there's power in silence, like, have you guys ever had a situation where it's like the silence is deafening? Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, I'm sure. <laughs> it would have been great to just none of us talk there for like 10 yeah. seconds. <laughs> <laughs> that would be awesome if it was just like power. The silence is deafening and it's just. 
Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) I've definitely, I definitely took this off the rails, but this was a really great side conversation. I love it. I think, um, you know, uh, just going in the idea of stillness, uh, and thinking about what we're all missing right now in terms of being with ensembles and casts, there's that moment of anticipation before the downbeat of a song where it emerges from silence. And I always like, look at that as sort of like this blank canvas before you start painting. And I think there's like, there's a sacred moment there of that silence uh, before we start to, to breathe and play together or breathe and sing together or act together. And um, that's where I, that's, I really miss that. That moment. And then the moment right after too, both of those moments are just, it's everything. And when it works perfectly, they're bookends, right? It's literally just like, it's at the beginning to be like, okay, are you ready for this? And then it gives you all of it. And then it's just like, okay, let me give you a second to decompress on that. And then we're all back from it as if like we all shared, ooh, this is deep. What if we all shared the same dream? (laughs) (laughs) Either way, um, I completely agree. Um, Or even just like uh, Matt, I was going to say, and, and, um, you know, Mike and Isabel too, but that moment before you play and you hear the like collective breath, the like everybody Mm -hmm. sort of breathes in together. It's just like, it, it, it locks you all in. It's crazy. So once we, um, once we have our inspiration and and we're creating and we're getting some ideas out, um, I'm curious as how we, how do we make sure that those, few ideas that bubble up and make it to the surface how do we develop those and what is your process for reviewing and editing and revising uh, a great idea so kind of tying back around to what we were talking about earlier with the um the taking of notes and then reviewing those notes a lot of times i mean um those of you who know me know that i am a massive post-it person so it's one of those things where sometimes I won't even come across an idea until like a few days later and I'll find it on a post-it and I'll be like, Oh my God, I completely forgot about that. Um, (laughs) but if you're talking about like, just like a project that you're continuously working on, one thing that I always think about, um, and it's funny, I'm, I'm even looking right here and, uh, you said it, Matt, is this idea of the big picture. And, uh, it's actually an idea that's expressed, through tech theater as far as design, but this idea of uh, achieving what's called the statement. And it's the same thought process, which essentially just is from all aspect of aspects of design in relation to this product, you want it to achieve uh, the statement. You want it to achieve the big picture. You want to make sure that the costumes are achieving that. You want to make sure that the set design is achieving at. You want to make sure that uh, the character choices, the directorial choices, the lighting, all of that is achieving that. And um, what I'd love to hear uh, you guys sort of comment on is like how that functions from like a musical ensemble perspective. Because if you think about it, there are so many unique things coming from all of the performers that are involved. Obviously you get the same thing in theater, but it's just like from a music ensemble perspective, it's like, how do you as a director sort of uh, move things or rather, uh, yeah, well direct them the way that you want to sort of achieve that big picture. I think for, 
for me, it, it, it emanates from the score and, and from what I know about the composer and the, the composer's um, inspiration for writing the piece or their rationale. And then I interpret that through, um, you know, a study process of uncovering different musical ideas and, and motive and, and different things, much like you would in the text and the characters. And then in the rehearsal process, there's a, you know, a, um, an uncovering of that with the ensemble as well. So as people are living with the music, is essentially what we're doing is we're recreating what the composer had envisioned and then, um, you know, trying to create the best recreation of that. Uh, and and um, as a conductor, I look at my role as enabling the ensemble to be as expressive as possible and guiding them when necessary to get to that point, knowing in the same time in the back of my mind what the composer intended. So it's kind of a juggling act. It's, it's a lot to think about. Um, but it's it it does take a lot of creativity, I think, to be a conductor, to be an ensemble director, um, and then having been a having conducted my own music, it's really really meta because you're you know okay <laughs> I I know why I wrote this and I know how it's supposed to sound and it doesn't sound that way, but is that my fault as the teacher slash ensemble director? Is it because what I wrote doesn't sound like I what I want, what I wanted it to, um, you know, so you can, you can really go down the rabbit hole with that one, but, um, you know, it, that's how I kind of go through the process. Yeah. I, I, I don't have much to tie into there because that's very much, we follow similar paths there. It's, it's really cool that the processes mirror themselves, the act of composing and then the act of score study as you lead to conducting are just two sides of the same coin. The composer constructs and then the conductor deconstructs and then reconstructs with others to create again. It's, it's, it's a really cool cycle. Um, and I think as we're talking about writing the stuff, like getting it out and then organizing it, something that you should there latch onto, um, think about it from a conductor standpoint. Uh, we are looking at the big formal structure of a piece of music and then all the little parts of it that kind of join together to create that larger whole. So when you're writing music, um, it's sometimes helpful, although not necessary, to have the idea of what is the whole um, formal structure that I want to accomplish, and then how can I fill it in? And sometimes it will reveal itself that way to you, the music that you're writing. And then sometimes it comes about as you do segment by segment, the form reveals itself that way. But always keeping in mind that there's, uh, maybe I'm wrong to say there should be formal structure in all music, but it's definitely really helpful <laughs> for creating works that are meaningful. I think. You know, I kind of and uh, don't do, I don't think you should disregard that idea that structure is important because I mean I think as much as we are all extremely creative and that's what sort of drives us is this idea to create or I guess as you're saying I, I love the thought process of construction from composer deconstruction from conductor and then reconstruction with ensemble I think that idea is really great. But it's just like if we're all creative individuals, then what we need to create for ourselves and um, I don't know if you guys do this at points is like you need to create your own 
form of creative structure. And it's different for every piece that you work on. It's different for every ensemble you work with. I know it's different for me with every single play or musical that I direct. It's just that every time you step up to it, it's going to be completely different. So if you can find the small aspects that you personally do every single time that help you to get into the proper headspace, then the success will sort of come in whatever form comes out of that particular piece. Um, like uh, one thing I always do when I'm working on a play is right after reading the play, I will create a music playlist with songs that I feel put me into the world that the play exists in. And it helps me to think connectedly as a director with what the playwright was trying to accomplish, what the characters are going through, what themes are expressed, what the storyline is. And I can always come back to that playlist if I ever want to take myself to that place or that mindset to create. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't really, I don't really have anything to add. I was listening as if I was a listener. I was like, Ooh, I'm learning. Um, <laughs> but on a, on a different tangent, this, all of this kind of made me think of, um, a di- I guess a different type of creative, um, format. I planned a lot of social events for the different organizations I was in, in college. And it was kind of a similar creative process where I'd be like, all right, this is my idea for a social event. Now I have to think of everything that's going into it. Like, what do I want us to do? Are we going to be painting? Are we going to get be eating? Um, I have to pick a day where I want as many people to come and I have to be understanding that people are not going to come. And I have to be understanding that it's not going to go exactly the way I want all the time because everyone is going to be acting differently and affecting things in different ways. Um, but it made me think about that and um, realizing that I can't control every aspect of it. Um, and I have to be able to give um, tasks and things to, to other people, which inevitably won't make it exactly the way I envisioned, but it still comes out with a, a fun event that everybody ends up enjoying. Um, so that, I guess that's my experience with that, but that was great. I was listening and I was like, Ooh, I'm, I'm learning so much. This is so much profound. And then I was like, Oh wait, they probably want, want me to say something now. <laughs> <laughs> no, but the, no, but Isabel, that's such a perfect way to look at it. Cause I guess if we, uh, one of my big phrases that I love right now is this, uh, phrase, uh, where you just go zoom out and you just try to think of, uh, every other perspective that could come out of this. And it's like organizing stuff like that, delineating tasks, compromising in relation to what your idea is, and then eventually using teamwork to achieve uh, some form of a goal. It's the same exact concept. That's a, that's a really excellent way to sort of tie it into, I guess, I mean, if you want to phrase it this way, like a real world context, you know? Totally. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I look at what my wife is doing right now with, um, you know, project management in the time of COVID-19 testing. And a lot of what they're doing is is creative troubleshooting of different unforeseen problems that did not exist 24 hours ago. And I think it's a lot of the same skills. Uh, it's sort of like getting in front of an ensemble and it's like an off day and people aren't in tune or there's, you know, there's, you, you read the room as uh, we're all teachers, you know, you read the room and you can tell that 
something happened or something's up or everybody's just out of it and you you got to tell a joke or you got to tell a story just to to sort of redirect and get everybody back on the same page um so i think i think i'm gonna i'm, I'm gonna pull the music ed advocacy standpoint here or the arts education advocacy and say that those of you who are listening to us who are have been in high school ensembles uh, or middle school ensembles these skills are imminently transferable to what you're going to experience in the real world because rehearsing is creative problem solving and it's constant and it's multitasking and it's being responsible for a lot of different variables at the same time so um you're doing the right thing. Stay in it. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to, I was just going to say, uh, I was just going to say, you will be, you will be surprised how much will correlate. You will be so surprised how much will, will come up in different aspects of your life that you're just like, Oh my God, this is kind of like rehearsal right now. Like <laughs> it's, it's very interesting. So, uh, shall we uh, quarantine and chill here? Let's go. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. I, I think I need to let Colin lead off this week because he has some pretty big news. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So this is the, and it's funny. I, I literally just thought about this right now. For those of you who don't know, you know, when we record the podcast, we use a program that we can track where all of our audio is. So like I can see the audio waves as they come up. Um, you know what I haven't been seeing is audio waves that have been created over past podcasts by my very large beard. <laughs> um, I, I no longer have a large beard. Uh, it was a big decision. <laughs> I can't believe I'm even talking about this. <laughs> it's all good. Man. It's all good. <laughs> it, was, uh, it, it was a big decision. Um, uh, the last time I had fully shaved my face, I think was in like, I don't know, uh, December, January, maybe it was a decent amount of time and it had gotten to be pretty large, but, um, it's one of those things where the mask was not covering my beard and I am trying to stay as healthy and safe and respectful as possible in these trying times. So I bit the bullet and shaved off my beard. My face is really cold. But at the same time, uh, it's coming back in pretty aggressively as we speak. <laughs> so I don't know. We'll check back in next week. Maybe, maybe it's gotten back to full potential. Who knows? <laughs> um, but as far as quarantine and chill uh, for this week is concerned, one thing that I wanted to talk about, um, well, I have, a, I have a few things here, but one thing I heard about is, well, and maybe this is a good place to put in... Um, <laughs> So I recently saw an update where it said that Nicolas Cage uh, is cast as Joe Exotic in a made-for-TV series based off of Tiger King. Which, oh my gosh! Guys, what, a world, what a world we live in. That's exactly. That's exactly. What a my time point. to be alive. My words have been answered. This is what I wanted all along. <laughs> No, but it's amazing because on the article that I read, it posted a picture of Nicolas Cage like wearing some sort of like safari gear for some reason, and, <laughs> and I see him in like the full like beige getup, and I'm just like, you know, <laughs> it's, it's pretty good casting. 
<laughs> it's really good casting. Throw, throw, throw a mullet on him and you're good to go. I oh mean. my God. And all I could think about was like, uh, he's probably, because I don't think Nicolas Cage is a great actor, but I think he does really great voice work in a lot of situations. And it'll be interesting to see him take a run at that like Southern accent that's like way up here. <laughs> like, you know, I just found that to be really, really interesting. I don't know. Thoughts, guys? I'm excited. Kate McKinnon is supposedly playing Carol Baskin. That's right. And yeah. I cannot oh my God. get out of here. Really? She's the queen of like characters, especially on SNL. And exactly. I cannot wait. Yeah. No, and and it's interesting. I mean, I guess from another perspective, because I mean, at this point, listen, if you haven't seen Tiger King at this point, there's not a whole lot I can do for you. Okay. Um, but for everyone who's seen it, it bounces back and forth between being like a hardcore documentary, like really, uh, uh, you know, sort of deep, crazy things going on to like an absurdist, like circus show of weird characters to like love stories. And the one thing I thought is I was just like, what is this series going to be? Is it going to be a comedy? Is it going to be like, you know, a drama or like, I don't know. I don't know. I'm just very interested to say the least. Um, We'll see if any other updates come in relation to that. Um, So one other thing. So here we go. Oh, yeah. Okay. So uh, one of my personal favorite directors Taika Waititi, famous for um, Thor Ragnarok and Jojo Rabbit, uh, recently was announced as uh, the next director for a Star Wars film coming out in the Star Wars universe, which I am just absolutely head over heels in relation to that. Taika is that Waititi- the Obi-Wan Kenobi one? I think so. Yeah. And that's the thing is I, I they haven't really released a whole lot of specific information as to which movie it's going to be but they've just announced straight up that it's just like he's going to have his own movie he's going to direct it he's going to help to write it and um if you haven't seen anything done by taika watiti i highly recommend you pause this podcast and (laughs) go go watch something um uh, he's absolutely fantastic and so creative with these sort of extraterrestrial worlds and all that sort of thing so i'm really stoked on that um did any of you guys rewatch Rise of Skywalker? Because I know that it dropped on Disney Plus this week. Um, I watched it twice in the theaters. Okay, twice in the so theaters. I've, I've seen it twice. And I know that I know that Matt is uh, going to bring this up later on. His- we are uh, we're currently at Last Jedi mm-hmm. uh, in, in our house. It's taken a little bit longer for us to uh, to get through the saga, but uh, we're almost there. So oh, I can so I can good. fill you in on on our re- reaction next week. It's so good, and uh, I mean, like, it, let's put it this way: I'm looking forward to rewatching it. At the same time, uh, I did remember, and oh, I I hate even saying it. I did remember leaving the theater after seeing it with a pretty bad taste in my mouth. But I'm gonna cross my fingers and hope for the best on this one. <laughs> I'm I'm really hoping that I I like it a lot more than I did the first time. Um, the last thing I'm gonna say here, and it's kind of interesting that we talked about um, uh, music much earlier on, is <laughs> I actually this past week every night I rewatched one of the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. Um, uh, don't ask me why. I just felt like watching them. And, you know, the movies hold up pretty well, but you know what holds up the best is the theme music, like the composed music 
for those movies, um, which uh, I, I had to look back at it. I'm pretty sure Hans Zimmer did every single one, and he's one of my favorite film composers like of all time. And <laughs> you know what I've started to do is like I – the Pirates of the Caribbean theme song, the like, will get stuck in my head while I'm doing like really remedial tasks around the house. So, so like I'll, I'll go to like take out the trash and like taking out the trash or like, you know, I'll do the dishes and it's like, I'm doing the dishes. So it's like <laughs> his, um his score for gladiator is one of my favorites. Oh my God. I swear to God. I don't think there's been a film that he's scored that I have not fell in love with the music. Like, um, have you ever heard of the movie, the prestige? Mm-hmm. That, that's a Christopher Nolan one. And Hans Zimmer did that one. That, that, that music still gets to me, man. Or like uh interstellar is another one. That's just absolutely amazing. Or I could Incep- listen. Inception. Oh, and inception. That's right. That's right. Well, and all of a sudden you like go to his IMDB and you're like, man, this guy's on everything. Yeah. But, he's done a lot. Um, but either way, no more big beard, hoping to rewatch. Rise of Skywalker and love it. And I'm going to continuously sing the Pirates of the Caribbean theme song in my head as I go throughout my day. But that's all for this week. (laughs) (laughs) The last time that Pirates of the Caribbean came into my musical world was I was a junior or a senior in high school and we played the like medley in orchestra yeah yeah the cello part i have that well and i'm dude is all about the ostinato man i'm starting i'm starting to pick it apart now now we're going back to this analytical versus creative mindset i'm starting to pick it apart and just be like, every part of this is so good. <laughs> just like every like little in-between lick or like side song for like somebody walking on a dock or something. I'm yes. like, I'm like, Hans Zimmer, you've done it again, man. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot to enjoy in there. I, I, I definitely like it. I'm probably gonna go watch those now. Actually, you've inspired me. <laughs> I, I would recommend it. Again, it's like as you get deeper into it, it really like the writing is very questionable, but the acting yeah. the acting is always great. Except for Orlando Bloom. I realize that I just don't <laughs> really I don't I don't really like his acting, but He's whatever. Kind of plain with his acting, I feel like. Yeah. Well, yeah. What, what can you do? You can't win them all, right? All right. Well, what I have been watching these past week, uh, two shows on Netflix. Uh, one is called Unorthodox, and the other is Hollywood. Um, Unorthodox is this tale of a girl that's coming from a very traditional, conservative, Orthodox Jewish community in Brooklyn. And it's basically the side-by-side tale of her escape from that community, going to live in Berlin, and then flashbacks of what her life was leading up to her departure. Um, it's really, really, really excellent storytelling. And it's a short series. It's it's a limited series, so it's four episodes long. Um, and it's just fascinating to see this, uh, like an inside view of this community that's very secluded, um, but still very much alive and thriving today in New York City and around the world. Uh, and one of the things I really love about it, uh, besides telling this really great human story, is that when she escapes to Berlin, the place that she finds solace is a music conservatory, and all of her friends are musicians. 
And oh it, man, that's awesome! Yeah, oh, that's cool. It's it's amazing. Like I would highly recommend it. It's it's so great, uh, and, and it made me feel a lot of feelings. And it's short watch. You can watch it in a night. So unorthodox, check it out. And then completely different feel. Uh, Hollywood just came out. I think a week or two ago. It's a uh, Ryan Murphy creation so like nip tuck uh, american horror story glee all those ryan murphy has his name on him um and he's kind of known for having a really kind of like quirky sort of way that he writes and directs uh and the show is no different it's a take of hollywood in the 1940s so right after world war ii uh early hollywood and it's fascinating because it is a mixture of what actually sort of happened some like real life people uh rock hudson uh vivian lee a bunch of different really really big names and then in this verse with their true stories um and their characters are reimaginings of what life could have been like if uh this had happened so there's a really prominent african-american lead female um, and instead and it shows like, well, what have happened if she had been the lead of this movie and they had gone out on a limb and they had produced a movie with an African-American lead female back in the 1940s, or what would have happened if there was this gay character and instead of being really hidden about who he was, he was really open. Um, and it's a really fun reimagining of, of what history could have been like, um, and what I think I sort of wish it was like. <laughs> <laughs> That's fascinating. Wow. Yeah. yeah. But it's it's also like it is a lot of um it's like it's definitely very rated R too, so don't watch it with any kids around. <laughs> There's a lot of like, stuff that's not safe for uh, little kids, but um fun watch would definitely recommend. Uh, and that's what I've been watching this week. Folks, moving during a pandemic is challenging. <laughs> uh, preach, I, preach. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so I was already living at my boyfriend's house because I was supposed to be there for my placement at the lovely Hanover High School. Um, so once all of this happened, I decided just to stay. Um, and my dad was supposed to help me move out of my apartment May 15th. And then because the cases are a lot worse here, he just, he was in Florida for spring break and then just kind of stayed. So he decided to stay in Florida for a few more weeks until things got better in Massachusetts. Um, so I had to change um, the whole U-Haul reservation, which was confusing because of all the new stuff with the with the pandemic. And um, my boyfriend also lives in an apartment in the same um, complex. And so we moved out at the same time. And so we had to go there. We showed up gloves, masks, um, and everything we had to go to. Holyoke to get, which is about 30 minutes past Amherst, to get the truck and then drive the truck to Amherst. And then thankfully, my roommates had taken apart some of my furniture because most of the furniture in the living room had been mine. And so we we had friends, too, in his apartment that um, and they helped us move. And we tried to keep six to six feet, but it's hard when, you know, you've got a, a bunch of you running in and out of a truck and. And then we also had to do his apartment and it was a long process. And then we had to come home and drop all the stuff off at his house and then come to the Cape to drop all my stuff off at, at between my houses. Um, 
And once I got home, like time has stopped existing. Now that I'm home, it feels like summer vacation and I kind of stopped checking my emails and stuff. And then this morning <laughs> I woke up and I saw that there was a new text group called Podcast and I flung out of bed because I thought that I was about to miss <laughs> recording the podcast <laughs> at 9 o'clock a.m. <laughs> and so I jumped out of bed and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to miss it. And then I realized... Even if I, even if it was still at 10, I would have had time, but because time hasn't been real since I've been home, I was like, oh my gosh. Yeah, and, time, um, is <laughs> time is a man-made construct, y'all. So uh, we're, we're just all going to do our best to keep in line with it, I guess. <laughs> so once I read the rest of the conversation, I was like, oh my gosh, thank goodness we're not recording until five o'clock. Um, I won't miss it <laughs> because I'll set an alarm. Um but some, some tips for those who are going to college next year, um, I would say try not to pack everything all in one day because you know that you're not moving in until August or September. Pack a little bit every day, maybe three weeks before you have to leave um, so you're not overwhelmed by everything you have to do. Um, maybe something as simple as organize your closet, start putting all your t-shirts in one place, all your all your pants in one place so that once you go to move, you can just take everything and have everything all set and it'll be easier to organize. Um, and also don't try to unpack everything in one day. Um, go at it with an idea. Okay, today I'm going to unpack all my clothes or anything necessary for today. Um, if you're in marching band at UMass, you get to move into yeah. your dorm three days earlier than the rest of the undergrads, which is great. If you're not in band, uh, moving into your dorm is a nightmare. <laughs> so, um, my, that's why I, I said be as, as organized as possible, because at least at UMass, for all the undergrads who don't get to move in during marching band, they only get a 15-minute window to move all their stuff into their dorm before parents have to like move their cars and stuff. So I would say have everything packed as efficiently as possible. So if that's you, you can do it as quickly as possible and you know where everything is. Um, and I, during the same week that I move out of my apartment, um, I graduate on Friday and I actually have two virtual ceremonies. Woo! <laughs> I'm decorating my cap tomorrow. Very exciting. Um, and the virtual ceremonies are at like 9 a.m. and, and 4.30 which is which would it would have been a crazy day um, because I would have played in the commencement band, which I'm I'm sad I don't get to do. Um, but I would have had to do like all the ceremonies in the morning, and then my free time would have been the ceremony that I would have been in, and then another ceremony, and then the end of the day. Um, <laughs> so it's nice that I don't have to do like all of that. Um, but I am sad that I don't get to play with my my friends one more time. And finally, I surprised my friend yesterday, my best friend from home. Um, he's home because of the pandemic. Uh, he goes to Sacred Heart. And it was his birthday yesterday. So my mom and I bought balloons at Stop and Shop because um, we were going to do a, a, gross, a grocery run. And there were so many like Mother's Day and grad balloons. There was like one happy birthday balloon. And it was like the weirdest dorkiest little like it had fish on it and it was so dumb looking and i was like i have to get this for him um, <laughs> so i got him like a grad balloon and a happy birthday balloon and we went over and we tied it to his mailbox um and then him and his family said hello like from the door 
<laughs> but it was it was nice. Um, I never get to see him on his birthday, so because he's always at, we're always both at school. But it was nice. It was something to do um, <laughs> with with everything that's been going on. So it was it was nice to do something fun and, and get to actually see people, um, which is different, especially now that I'm home. Um, there's people that walk by my house all the time. And so it's weird. I'm like, oh, that's a person. But I <laughs> that's a neighbor. But I get to wave from the window and that's about it. But yeah, so true. It's been good. Well, for me, um, it's kind of a big, big week. Um, so my wife and I are celebrating our 15th wedding anniversary tomorrow. Yay! Oh, and for, for those of you who don't know the incredibly cheesy story, um, my wife and I are, are high school sweethearts. We met in band and chorus and all that good stuff. So, um, you know, it's, it's, um, it's uh, definitely weird to, to do it in the middle of quarantine and everything, but we're going to try to do take out or something special uh just to celebrate and then uh my wife's birthday is uh also falls on mother's day this year so it's a big Aww. week we're uh, uh, triple whammy ce- this year that's amazing. <laughs> <Lots of> celebrations <laughs> but um you know we're trying to we're trying to you know keep it special even though it's uh certainly uh crazy circumstances Aww. um I uh, I finished The Mandalorian this week, which yes. I know I know Ooh. I was very very late to the uh, to the parade on that one, but I loved it. I thought it was really really well done. Um, uh, I'm a huge fan, and um, you know uh, just the the writing and the and the whole uh, unraveling of the story and how it kind of fits into the canon of of Star Wars writ large. I thought it was really really cool, um, and I think uh, now that I've screened it probably watch it with uh with the boys too um so yeah uh definitely and we're continuing as i mentioned before our star wars movie marathon uh, i did want to mention a couple of other things too um if you haven't had a chance to see the parks and recreation reunion episode do yourself a favor and watch that it'll make oh, you laugh it's yes. so it was so good together. like uh it's one of top like three favorite shows so like i was just crying the whole time it's oh de- yeah it's definite feel goods across the board man and the way they did it was really creative with the whole like you know cascading grizzle calls which of course are our lives right now on oh my god this is really really relevant and creative the way they did that so well and i uh, love i love how creative and i wonder to what end each actor sort of contributed in writing where their character was because obviously i thought about this i was like you have to you have to somehow acknowledge the fact that nobody's together right so uh it was just really interesting that like um uh andy gets (laughs) andy gets locked in the shed and uh <laughs> like um what is it uh chris and ann are separated because ann's working at the hospital and chris is at his office like i just i thought that aspect of it was very clever. It was brilliant yeah. like really well thought out i think um, the actress that plays joan calamezzo is amazing i laugh mo collins. she's on screen <laughs> mo, mo collins from mad tv she yes. is hilarious and and the and and i'm so glad they put like some of the some of the more obscure characters like Pert Happily was in there. Yeah, that was great too. Oh, so good. And and anytime I get a little dose of Ron Swanson, uh, I always feel better about the world. Yeah. Oh my god. And you know what's what's funny is he does a lot of different stuff that I've been trying to catch up on recently. Like he does a podcast with 
his wife, Megan Mullally, um, that I've been meaning to listen to because I, I read, a, a, he, he came out with two books in the past, like 10 years and I've read both of them and he's, a, he's an excellent writer, like yeah. really well-spoken, really, really fantastic ideas. And like both of them were sort of geared towards like American society. So it was like a little political, but not too much. Like, it, it, yeah. Uh, um, uh, why can't I think of his name right now? Nick Offerman. There you go. Uh, and then finally, uh, I've been doing a little bit more reading. I had to sneak into school, not sneak in. I had permission, but I, I went into school to grab a couple of my sort of like sacred touchstone books. Um, one of them is the courage to teach by Parker Palmer, which I've started to reread in the light of teaching in a pandemic, which of course Parker Palmer never envisioned, but a lot of what he writes is even more relevant in some ways now. And then the other is uh, The Artistry of Teaching and Making Music by Richard Floyd, which has been a favorite book of mine over the past couple of years that it's been out. Um, and, you know, we are, we're reimagining our relationship with teaching and especially teaching music. So both of those books have been really refreshing to kind of go back to this week. I was just going to say, I love that you mentioned those books because I have a huge stack of books that I'm slowly reading through. Um, and those two are right on my list uh, to reread Parker Palmer's book. And then I've never read the the artistry of teaching music, but it's going to be, I, I have it. So I can't wait to actually read it for the first time straight through. Yeah, you'll, you'll love it. And I was going to say, Ed, um, I also have a copy of The Courage to Teach and that's... Um, Guys, book club, let's do it. Yeah. Seriously, seriously, um, really phenomenal read. And you know, what's interesting is that I found in a lot of aspects of it, it's a really a great read, even if you're not a teacher, like it's just like it it gives, it presents some really interesting ideas of how to collaborate and more importantly, how to be a leader and how to, um, you know, keep your head on straight. So, um, good choices. All right. Let's talk about what we're, uh, what we're listening to and, and, uh, some artists of the week. So Mikey, why don't you lead us off? So this week, uh, as far as what I've been listening to, uh, well, I've just kind of been going back and listening to all my favorite people. And Fleet Foxes is... God uh, bless you for this. God <laughs> bless you, sir. It's a, it's just a standby. Like, it's just like, I, my, I, I cannot even say this probably sounds dramatic, like how much of my being has been shaped by Fleet Foxes. I feel like... Yes, the, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> their music is just, it's its everything to me. And um, they have three big albums that I rotate and listen through. Uh, one is their self-titled album from 2008. There's Helplessness Blues from 2011. And then Crack Up, which was just recently released in 2017. Uh, have, there's a, like... Oh, my, so many great songs. Uh, and what I love about their music, uh, it's it's hard to quantify it. Like just the, I'm always looking for music that has different layers to it. Uh, lots of different um, intricacies that you can pick apart. And the, the harmony that they get in the vocals, it tied with the really beautiful guitar playing and then percussive aspects all tied together is just, it's it's beautiful it's just glorious and something i really love about the album crack up is it's meant to be listened to like an album like of old where you would sit down and listen to the album straight through and it's it's well worth that listen but if you want some specific songs to listen to uh that are some of my favorites uh three of them one is blue ridge mountains 
another is Blue Spotted Tail, and then the 3rd of May. And those kind of come from all three of the albums, and they kind of highlight some of what I think are the really cool cool uh, characteristics of the band. So check them out. They're well worth a listen. I second that so incredibly much. Um, and uh, it's not it's not what I'm talking about this week, but since you brought it up, yeah, Fleet Foxes, especially that first self-titled album, literally was so formative in for me for music for a very long time. Um, Blue Ridge Mountains, I cannot listen to without like crying. And it's not even that it's like a really emotional, it's not even that it's a really emotional song. It's just how good it's done. Or like um, another song is a ragged wood is arguably one of the best songs ever written in my opinion. (laughs) It's just, it's just such a perfect traveling tune. You'll, if you, if you look it up, you'll know exactly what I mean. It's, it's perfect. Um, So thank you so much for bringing that up. Um, Okay, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Jim James appreciation uh, segment of this, <laughs> of this podcast. Um, if you if you are not familiar with my buddy Jim James, uh, Jim James is uh, I believe it's Tennessee. Yeah, he's a Tennessee based musician. Uh, he is the lead singer of the band My Morning Jacket, and he continues to create solo music and other collaborative music. Um, literally up until I think the last thing he released was at the beginning of this year, but we'll talk about that a little bit more here. Um, kind of to go off of what Mikey said in relation to Fleet Foxes, um, Jim James and specifically my morning jacket really means so much to me from a musical perspective. And I've been deep diving back in on it because it literally gives you everything that you want. Um, my morning jacket can give you everything from uh, hard, uh, you know, hard uh, distorted rock music. It can give you beautiful soaring melodies harmonized together. It gives you um, really interesting, mysterious sort of uh, new wave type sounds. And they've been recording albums from 2001 till 2015. And all I can say is that if you have a chance, deep dive on that discography. It's absolutely fantastic. If I had to recommend just one album to sort of get the basic feel, listen to Okanokos, uh, which is their live album that they recorded in Hawaii. Um, no band sounds that good live, I swear to God. And um, it, it seriously just cements in my mind how great musicians they are. But to bring it back to my buddy Jim James, um, he recently came out, uh, actually last year, last year, he came out with two sort of, uh, brother albums, one of them called uniform distortion and the other one called uniform clarity, uniform distortion was purposefully written so that every aspect of every recorded sound on there was purposefully distorted. So you get really aggressive sort of grungy fuzzy guitars you get drums that sounds like they're banged on trash cans you get vocals that uh sound like they're being sung into like a a crappy karaoke microphone and then literally all of the same exact tracks presented on a clean cut down um very basic usually acoustic with just vocals um perspective of it so you have uniform distortion and uniform clarity i just thought that was such a brilliant way to present music and such an interesting way to write music. If we're tying back around to the conversation we had earlier. And then the last thing that I'm going to put out there for my buddy, Jim James. And um, I think specifically Mike 
Matt, Isabella, I think you guys are really going to like this too, is uh, he did an album in October of this past year called The Order of Nature with Teddy Abrams, who's the music director for the Louisville Orchestra. And essentially, it's Jim James uh, coming together with the Louisville Orchestra to collaborate and uh, write fully orchestrated, um, I guess you could say fully orchestrated rock songs, I guess. And um, absolutely beautiful orchestral work, really phenomenal stuff. And then at the same time, you know, Jim James has been described for having a really angelic voice and it really cuts through, through all of this stuff. Um, one of the number one songs, bring your tissues if you're going to listen to it, but one of the number one songs on that album is called Who Am I? And even if, as I'm just, <clears throat> excuse me, as I'm just thinking about it right now, it's very, um, <clears throat> it's a beautiful song. It's a really beautiful song. So long story short, Jim James, he's great. My Morning Jacket, they're great. Lots of albums to check out. Really good stuff. Um, the Order of Nature, enjoy the heck out of it, my friends. Okay, for for me this week, uh, I'm going to start with uh, a video that was released by the New York Philharmonic. Uh, it's a recording from 1963 of uh, Mahler's Second Symphony, directed by Leonard Bernstein, and um, it was premiered three days after the Kennedy assassination as a response, and it is very powerful. Um, it's, it's on their, it's on their YouTube channel now. Um, definitely check that out. It's one of my favorite orchestral works of all time. Um, and it's just a, a very moving and very heartfelt performance of it. Um, another thing that I've sort of revisited this week is the soundtrack, the original Broadway cast of next to normal. Yes. Um, awesome. So it's, good. Uh, it's again, um, you know, from a from an art standpoint, making a musical about the effect of a f- of mental illness on a family is, is definitely a, a risk, uh, but it's really really well done, and the music is f- phenomenal for that. So I highly recommend you you take a listen. And then last one for something a little different. Um, this was an album that I really love listening to with. Uh, a dear friend of mine from high school who has, has since passed away. Um, but uh, whenever I hear this, I think of him and his love of the blues uh, is Eric Clapton's album from the cradle in 1994. Uh, Clapton's guitar playing really uh, on that album really kind of is an homage to all of the great blues guitarists that came before him. And um, the choice of, of repertoire on that album and the, the way that it's crafted is, is really, really beautiful. So check that out. Now that I'm home, um, a lot of what I'm listening to is what my mom and stepdad like to listen to, their tastes. So um, my stepdad's been painting all around the house. And so I've heard a lot of James Taylor the past few days. Oh, Um, my God. Oh, my God. (laughs) My dad sent me a James Taylor song this morning. (laughs) (laughs) Um, He's been playing the Hourglass album, um, which has a lot of those songs that I would categorize as Oh, I know that song, but I don't know what it's called. Exactly. <laughs> so I've listened to a lot of that the past few days. Um, and then my mom is a huge Diana Krall fan, has all her albums, CDs. So anytime nice. we've been in the car or my mom's been studying because she's studying for her uh, real estate exam, I've heard um, 
Diana Kroll live in Paris. A lot of her older stuff, like um, early 2000s albums are what I'm used to hearing. So a lot of other people's tastes this week, but still, still good. Nice to hear different stuff once in a while. (laughs) All right. Um, So let's head into some quarantine quotes. Colin, what do you got for us? So for this week, um, (laughs) this is actually a little bit of a blast from the past for me. Um, uh, And this is actually something I'm going to bring up next time. But (laughs) Isabel, you said that you did all your crazy moving stuff. I'm actually in the process of getting ready to move myself, which will be taking place soon. And in the course of doing all of that, I managed to find my old yearbook and just decided to see what the quote I picked was for (laughs) when I graduated high school. And you know what? I I still like it. Um, This is the quote right here. It goes, summer transformed just once and live their whole lives after in that shape. Others have a facility for changing themselves as they please. And that's from Ovid's Metamorphoses. Um, Change is a thing that we're all dealing with at the moment. And I guess it's one of those things where I was talking about change earlier and how I'm not good with it. Well, everybody at some point or another is either going to be asked to stay the same or adjust themselves and change in some other way that they need to. And uh, I just found it kind of timely for this week, I guess. So for mine this week, um, uh, my first comes from the aforementioned Parker Palmer. He writes, we are a profoundly interconnected species as the global economic and ecological crises reveal in vivid and frightening detail. We must embrace the simple fact that we are dependent on and accountable to one another. And the second is uh, from the great teacher and composer, uh, Nadia Boulanger. Um, I probably butchered that pronunciation, but I apologize. Uh, (laughs) She writes, uh, in music, everything is prolonged. Everything is edified. And when the enchantment, has ceased, we are still bathed in its clarity. Solitude is accompanied by a new hope between pity for ourselves, which makes us more indulgent and more understanding, and the certitude of finding something again that which lives forever in music. Wow. I love those quotes. I love those quotes. Uh, Nadia was just wow. Like if you don't know anything about Nadia Boulanger, you could, should look her up because she transformed the face of classical music in the 20th century by the sheer number of composers she taught. Like it's astounding. One woman, the effect that she could have. That's an amazing quote, Matt. Um, I have an, another Roka quote this week because I've been a big Roka uh, Roka uh, binge, I guess. Uh, and here's what he says. We must embrace struggle. Every living thing conforms to it. Everything in nature grows and struggles in its own way, establishing its own identity, insisting on it at all cost against all resistance. My quote is from an author that I really want to read this book. Um, It's from Frankenstein by Mary Shelley. Um, It's on my list of, of books I really want to read. Um, And it was so cool that a book from so long ago was written by a woman and it was so famous. And I think it speaks a lot to what's happening right now. Nothing is so painful to the human mind as a great and sudden change. 
Yeah. <laughs> no kidding, right? <laughs> uh, can we can we acknowledge how perfectly timely all of our quotes are this week? Yeah. Yeah, I think we deserve a pat on the back for that. Well, <laughs> and, and just so just so the audience is aware, guys, we do not coordinate those. No. <laughs> We literally, we literally like, you know, we, we, we find them ourselves. That really is, God, that's so serendipitous. That's crazy. We are all, we are all on the same page. <laughs> We're in the same boat here, friends. Uh, thank you all for, uh, for tuning in this week. We want to give a shout out to our musical themes by Peter Bell and James Kadra. And um, stay tuned next week and have a great week. Stay safe, stay positive, uh, and keep feeling the feels bye guys love you bye bye guys <laughs>